I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jamie Smith. I cover Burnley Football Club for various people. You can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sport. Hi, I'm Jay Crame. I'm editor of Palace Fan Site, The Eagles Beak, and I'm also producer and co-host of the Meridian Sports Show on Meridian FM, a local community radio station, which you can get uh, on Twitter at the Meridian SS. You can get the Eagles Beak on Twitter as well at the Eagles Beak. Terrific. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, what I wanted to lead in with, uh, with it being an FA Cup weekend, obviously no Premier League action to discuss, um, but a lot of Premier League teams involved in the FA Cup this week as was video assistant refereeing, VAR for short, V-A-R, if you're freaky. Um, And there have obviously been a lot of discussions about it this week. The Liverpool versus West Brom match, uh, I think, is the best place to start because there were two huge decisions, both going against West Brom, which fortunately uh, they did end up still winning, so we don't have to have that discussion. Um, But the two big ones, um, one was a goal that was called back, off of Craig Dawson. I think they were saying that one of the uh, West Brom players was interfering with the keeper because he certainly didn't look offside at the time. Then later, a penalty awarded to Liverpool where a West Brom player was tugging, I think it was Salah's shirt. Um, did seem a soft penalty if it was called live, but once you're going back to the video, it's hard to say that there wasn't contact. I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on either those incidents or the impact that it had specifically in that match. Yeah, first of all, I just want to be first to use the VARS pun that I've trademarked. <laughs> that is my pun. I own that. So is that a hashtag, Jamie, that. as well? Yeah, exactly. Um, you have to pay me every time you use that, I'm afraid. Um, I didn't actually see the Liverpool game, but I think one of the most important things to point out is that it's a trial. Mm. So it's not supposed to be working perfectly already. The whole point of the trial is to see what the problems are and see what needs to change before it's rolled out for all the Premier League games. Um, And from what I gather, the decisions that were reached in the Liverpool-West Brom game were eventually correct. The problem was that there was a long delay and people inside the ground can't see what's going on. And they're valid problems, but the whole point of the system is that we get the correct decisions. Um, it, it was strange for me to, to read Alan Pardew's comments afterwards. He seemed extremely unhappy with um, the use of VAR in general, considering his team had just knocked Liverpool out of the FA Cup, his biggest win since taking charge of West Brom. I think he'd be a lot happier. But, yeah, I think that there are some problems with the adoption of it. I think one of the problems is the delay, and we see that in the other leagues. I was watching the A-League, today, believe it or not, for work, not pleasure. <laughs> and they they had one where they, they pull it 
they pull it back a long time after the incident. So there was a, a penalty appeal. Player ran into the box and went down. He got a tug on his arms. He went to shoot. But they didn't stop it straight away. It was sort of the next break in play. What happens if there's something between the incident that should be referred and then mm. the actual referral? Like it seemed, That seemed a bit strange to me that play continued. Um, and even after then, a lot of the decisions seem to be sort of open to interpretation still. It's, it's still very difficult to see either way. The A-League one that I saw today, Perth Glory, um, it was a red card for just a, a tug, really, on the arm as he entered the box. It seemed really unfortunate to me and probably not the sort of thing that I think VAR was intended for. Um, I think it, it needs to be sort of seen in the context of how technology has been used in other sports like tennis and cricket. I was talking to this, talking about this to someone at work, and he points out that in tennis and cricket, it's very much appeal driven. So you can ask for the video right. replay if you think a mistake's been made. And maybe that's the, the way forward for football rather than trying to ref, re-referee everything as the game's mm. going on. I understand that there's concerns over football becoming too stop-start and like American sport almost where there's huge gaps between every play. Yeah, uh, interesting on um, the looking at every event, obviously in the English implement, implementation of VAR at the moment, allegedly only four things are meant to be reviewed right now, goals, red cards, penalties, and mistaken identity. The easiest example of that uh, will be the Kieran Gibbs-Oxlade-Chamberlain incident for those <laughs> that remember that one. Um, uh, but do agree that the stop-start nature is a concern, though worth noting that uh, in November... Um, Mauricio Pochettino complained about how long Ben Foster held on to the ball. If any uh, listener of this is a supporter of a club that's been leading against, or sorry, that has been losing to West Brom, I'm sure you'll uh, know what I'm talking about. Um, and there was actually an interesting stat floating around at the time about the most amount of in-play minutes for each club. And at the time, Chelsea were leading with only 58 minutes and 31 seconds of in-ball play. So while I do agree with you, obviously American sports have more stopping and starting, it's not like we're exactly seeing 90 minutes uh, per match. Yeah, of course. Um, There's almost an argument. Obviously, it would would never happen because it would take three hours probably to complete a game. But there's almost an argument for having the stop clock now. You play 90 minutes, and every time there's a stoppage, you just stop the clock. Yeah, that would be very interesting. Jay, really curious to get your thoughts on this, uh, especially as you're a fan of multiple sports on both sides of the pond. I am indeed, yeah. Um, Big fan of NFL, uh, well, all American sports, actually. But just uh, to touch on Jamie's points, exactly right what Jamie was saying is that this is a trial. Um, It's been trialed across uh, uh, the world, and I think there's a meeting. Is it next month? Uh, FIFA are going to meet next month or March? about um, long-term plans for it. So, obviously, I think they were trialling about, supposed to be trialling about 2,000 games, um, you know, across football as, as a whole. Um, and then they can look at the issues that have come up, they've come up against and, um, yeah, and what they found from, from this 2,000 games. I think it's clear that they're going to use it at the World Cup this year. Um, seems to be the, the, the common theme in, or a common suggestion, at least, that uh, that's perhaps a perfect place for it to to be used um but obviously there's a lot of issues that need to be ironed out i think the biggest one is um fans in the stadium don't know what's going on they really don't um i know there's a lot of suggestions around what could be done whether there's a light appears on the uh, on the scoreboard or maybe it goes all um americanized and they have some uh 
music when <laughs> uh, pumping out when uh, when it goes to the VAR. Just uh, you know, but it, it's clear that fans are really confused about when VAR is being used. And obviously, I'm a fan of a club, Palace, who um, were had the VAR system used for the first time in England in our in our cup loss at Brighton. And uh, I think in that one, it, it is a little bit different because. Um, there was a, I say it was controversial, but it wasn't controversial. The winning goal in the end, when you when you see the replays, but there's a lot of suggestion that uh, by Palace players that the referee hadn't used, gone to the VAR system, and uh, uh, and it was clear that it had been used from when you're watching it from a TV, but it wasn't, you know, uh, readily um, visible from when you're in the ground and, and and what the fans were expecting. So I think that's a that's an area where it could be. I, I think the other issue from watching Liverpool West Brom game the other night is really around. The players kind of asking for for the referee to yeah. look at the VAR, go to VAR, and I thought this was something that they weren't allowed to do. Um, again, this is a trial, so everyone's going to have to get used to it. Certainly for this trial period, um, and then again, you had the West Brom players uh, protesting the decision after the VAR had made the decision. So you've got two different sides of the story there. In, in that, uh, you know, you've got a club that uh, or players that. He wanted the referee or urged the referee to go to the system when um, I believe that it was down to the referee to make that uh, that choice for himself uh, if he felt that he couldn't make a decision there and then. But uh, again, as Jamie said, you know, it, it is a trial and it's something that everyone is really needing to get used to it. I, I think the only downside is that it's being trialled in different games and different competitions. It may have been easier for them to trial it in one competition, so it's perhaps fairer across the board that uh, you know it's not it's not a game in the Premier League or it's not a game in a League Cup or, or an FA Cup it's it's you rolled out to all of them but obviously I understand that's difficult in the Cup games because obviously they're using the Premier League uh, systems in the ground so they couldn't use it for uh, teams outside of the Premier League so that's obviously caused an issue but it, again it's a trial system um I mentioned NFL NBA all have very similar cricket as well of course and uh, and rugby it, it's kind of you know it's kind of been got used to in those sports now. It's something that was introduced to make the game, um, to make the game better. I don't know if it was. It's not to make the game better. It's really, I mean, like, like football is now. It's such a massive thing financially that they're having. It's not. It's no longer a game in my eyes. It's it's, it's a financial thing. So you know, the decisions, the pressure is on the referees to make the right decisions. And I think the the players put far too much pressure on the referees, not just in the way that they uh, force a referee to make a decision or complain about a decision, but, you know, the way they're acting on the pitch as well, the diving and different bits and pieces like that, they're, they're, they're intent on winning because, you know, it's not, it's, it's no longer a game anymore. It's, it's totally financial. And it, I think they're coming to a point where it could end up being a team are relegated from the Premier League on goal difference or by just a point end of a season, because it's, you know, a wrong decision has been made by a referee and you can see it being brought in, um, I, I mean, to me, it kind of people seem to think it's going to eliminate all the talking points of football when it clearly isn't. Um, as you said, Kev, it's only for four different scenarios to be you know, to be referred to during a game. Um, it, it, I mean, as we've seen with some of these TV problems, it's clearly not going to um, you know eradicate the conversation points from football in the slightest. It it, it may even increase them for, for the short term, at least while everyone's getting used to it. But Teething problems happen when you implement a new system, whatever sport, whatever you know business you're in. So um, I think it does need to be fine-tuned, particularly the timing side of things. So I think in a Liverpool West Brom game, it seems to take forever to make decisions, and whether that was a connection issue because I think they're going back to uh, uh, um, 
is it London? I think yeah, where, yeah, where the main the headquarters there. Yeah. yeah, where the headquarters is. So um, whether there was a connection issue for this particular game or not, but I think the the, the main issue is that um, it has to be a lot quicker than it is. Otherwise, fans are going to be against it because it's slowing down the game too much. Yeah, I think you both have have touched on a lot of really interesting points there. Um, for me, I, I think it's definitely uh, the right choice. I think both of you have hit the nail on the head with uh, how it's in its infancy, and I think. Um, while it is very easy to say that it's um, a problem in a competition as historically prestigious as the FA Cup, I think we should all take a second and uh, be thankful that these kinds of controversial things aren't happening in the Premier League the first time that it's being tried in English football. Um, that could have caused a lot of uh, large issues. Um, also, uh, worth bringing up, uh, Sean made a point, uh, I think it was uh, two shows ago, uh, if memory serves, and it was about how close the bottom half of the Premier League table is right now. <sighs> And he said yeah. that a single refereeing decision could send the wrong club down. Mm. And um, I think this is a big step towards making sure that that can't happen. And while mm. a lot of the issues with timing are fully valid, the average amount of time in all leagues trialing it this year is about two and a half minutes, um, which actually yesterday was not that far from. Um, fortunately, uh, just I totally understand why people are frustrated with that, that big gap. But I think, as you said, Jay, this has transcended a game. Right. These, mm. This is, you know, uh, huge, huge sums of money. This is lots yeah. of people's jobs. This is a lot of people's, um, you know, <laughs> passion for everything. Yeah. And, and it's become more important than just, you know, 22 people kicking around a ball for a bit. Completely. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think those are all great points. Um, and if we are saying that, you know, the wrong club could go down because of the wrong decision, especially when the margins are this close, I think that kind of invalidates um, some of those arguing that it all balances out over a season because I, I'm a big fan of the idea of things returning to the mean. Over a certain period of time, I do believe that's the case, but that period of time changes. So while you may say, oh, we got the wrong decision against us there, but later in the season we got one back, if you're in the wrong 38 time span, that isn't exactly match week one to match week 38. If it's match week 12 to match week something of the next season and the wrong call is made, now you're not in the league that you quote-unquote should have been in. That could be hugely disruptive to the sport and to the league in particular. Um, and I am very pleased to hear um, both of you kind of more on the patient side of it, which has not looked to be the overall reaction if uh, the internet is anything to gauge things by, which it shouldn't be, but often is. Um, not saying that, uh, you know, if anybody listening to this holds an opposite view, that uh, it's incorrect or anything. I just um, am glad that uh, it's being approached with such yeah, um, I mean, acceptance. What, what, one of the things I saw a lot of last night was they should stop using it until they've got it perfect. This like, is how we perfect it. Yeah. How would you do it? How, yeah. how would that happen without <laughs> it being trialed? And this is the tri- like, <laughs> I think fundamentally there's a lack of understanding about what the technology is supposed to do. Mm. So like Jay said about the four things, I think if you ask the average football fan what's VAR used for, I don't think they'd know about the four things. They wouldn't be able to name them. They wouldn't mm. be able to give examples. I think it, it could have been almost marketed a lot better. It needed to be explained what the technology was supposed to be there for. Um, there was an example just today in the Manchester City game. They had a perfectly good goal disallowed. Yeah. Leo Sané was vaguely near the goalkeeper. It wasn't clear but he was what, also onside. He was onside. He was onside. Yeah. He wasn't in front of the goalkeeper. There was two perfectly good reasons to allow the goal. And you can see it off 
probably the first replay. That could have been as close to instant as you can get with the video replay. But mm. we didn't have the system. And that would have been a perfect example of a snap decision. The flag's gone up. Check it straight away. Seat's wrong. Give the goal. They could have done that within a minute easily. But they didn't have the system. Obviously, it didn't matter in the end because Manchester City was so much better than Cardiff. But on another day, that could have been a goal that cost them on the points or mm. cost them on a place in the cup final or all of these things. So the whole point is that we eradicate the... <laughs> we... I don't think we need to make every decision perfect, but the sort of huge game-changing, massive errors that everyone can see off the first replay straight away, that is wrong. They're the ones that we need to be fixing, I think. Exactly right. I think, Jamie, you know, some of the some of the points or some some of the decisions that are made in games, and I think they're saying that a decision that's made on the pitch, if they can't, if, if it's not clear from the video replay, then they'll stick with the decision that the referee's made. I think we've seen it so many times before that you see a, something happen on the pitch, and even after you've watched it ten times in a replay, you can't decide whether it's a penalty or not. It's still 50-50 half the time. Um, so that that's clearly right, and that the referee's first decision is is the one they go with. And you know we've seen it so many times, you know, in a, you know particularly in the penalty area, we've seen it well, probably seen about five or six of those this season alone uh, in in the Premier League, where you know a decision still can't be made. You know, some people are still saying it's a penalty, some people are saying it's not a penalty, others are saying it's a dive. You know, it's you know if if you can't if you can't see it from uh, from 10 replays then then, you, then you're never going to make a 100% decision on it but um i i can see why some people um are dead against it a lot of people don't like a change i mean we all know how football fans are um you know don't don't like things changing uh, too much and obviously you know with this slowing potentially slowing down the game i know you had some stats there you mentioned there just now kev it's not you know it's not a huge amount but it's no different to, you know, a player going down injured, slowing the game down. You know, we, we, we see it week in, week out where there's time wasting and, you know, different things like that. So that's that's probably slowing the game more down than, uh, you know, than a decision is being made to uh, refer to the VAR in games. You know, in, mm. as, as it gets into, um, into the sport, you know, what, if it does come in, uh, I think there's no doubting about it that it will actually come in at some point, um, that, you know, the VAR will only probably be used couple of times a game maybe if that once you know once everybody's got the the hang of it and um you know uh, and, and and completely know what you know what it's being used for and and how it's going to be used it it, it starts to become second nature again just like anything else in mm. the game that's been introduced so yeah it's a, i can i can see both sides but i think you know I think the key point, as Jamie said at the start, it, it's it's being trialled. So you know, this is to, this is exactly to iron out the issues um, that come up and um, you know sort them out going forward before it is introduced. So mm. the goal on Tonology was a great addition to the sport. Um, it kind of it's kind of been introduced seamlessly, um, something that was needed. And um, personally, I think this is needed too because um, because of the massive financial rewards in the game. It's you know it, it'll end up being. Um, you know, it end it end up being silly where a, you know, a football club or owner decides to sue sue a referee for making the wrong decision. You know, you can see that coming, can't you? If it carries on, mm. yeah. Um, really glad uh, that you brought up the comparison to injuries and how they stop play because mm. I think that ties in with another point that you had already made, which is the fans in the ground don't know what's happening with a VAR replay yet. They obviously know what's happening when a player is injured. They've seen that loads of times. They're used to that being part of the culture, that obviously you have to stop play because a player is injured. We need to make sure that they're sorted medically before we can continue on with the match. It's just the same thing with an accurate decision. 
And I think just the more it happens, and I, I thought a light on the scoreboard is a is an interesting um, way of doing it. I agree that the fans need to know some way, so they aren't just like, "Why is play not happening?" But eventually, they'll be able to, you know, spot the identifiers of that's what's happening mm. right now. They'll see yeah. the referee walking over to a video board and be like, "Why is the referee?" Oh, right, because it's under review. Um, I think that's uh, it is something that'll just take time for people to get used to. Some people obviously more willing to see it uh, at the start, but I think. Pretty much as soon as each club gets it go their way once, people are going to be a little bit more on board with it. Um, and then, Jamie, coming back to your point about um, how it's not going to be 100% correct, uh, the referee's chief, Mike Riley, said exactly that, that the biggest challenge, this is a direct quote, the biggest challenge is understanding that this isn't about making the game 100% perfect, then dot, dot, dot. That it's supposed to go a long way towards reducing officials' mistakes, which, uh, as we've already discussed on this show, is weirdly one of the argument points like what are we going to talk about if there aren't (laughs) incorrect calls how about the sport itself how many times have we come on the show and had to discuss a referee decision where we've prefaced it with we hate to have to get get into this again but was it a penalty a referee's making too many mistakes this is the first step in removing that and then we can get it into talking more about tactics and more uh things like that and Mm. the thing i love most about football is that a, you'll never know everything, but you get as much out of the sport as you put into it. However much passion or time or or interest you have in it, there's that much to learn. And if you knew everything that's ever happened in football today, it would already be different by tomorrow. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about this sport. So thinking that we won't have things to talk about if referees' decisions are better is, I think, a kind of fallow argument. Um do you guys think that based off of what we've seen that we would be ready to implement it in the Premier League last year, or sorry, next year? Or do you think maybe we do need more time uh, before it's implemented on that stage? I think it, it, it's difficult to say. I think this this weekend's obviously been a big one for it because there was so many talking points in the Liverpool-West Brom game. Um, I, I don't know how many more games there are where it's going to be tried before now and the end of the season, but I think the whole point is it's a learning experience. I think the Premier League should also look at how it's been used in Europe and Australia and all the other places that have been trialling it or have already introduced it and see what they can learn from that. I think that the point about fans inside the ground is an important one, um, but essentially the people running the game don't care that much. Um, I think it's increasingly pivoting towards broadcast is, is king, really. Mm. Um, to be fair, the people, those are the people that are just the that same make... amounts of money that we see the Premier League getting in sponsorship. That isn't ticket money, that's TV money. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, it, it makes the sport more exciting when there's passionate fans there and all that stuff, but ultimately, I, I don't think the people running the game care anymore. Um, so while it is important that people inside the ground know what's going on, I don't think that's going to be a priority um, for the people making these decisions. I think also there's, it's either regulation or guideline that you're not supposed to show controversial incidents on the big screen because it can like incite yeah, people to get angry. So I don't know how that fits in with showing the replay itself um, on the big screen. It's not like cocaine tennis where it's either in or it's out. It's It's still going to be up for debate sometimes. Um, there's plenty of Premier League grounds where you can't always see a screen. I know at mm. Turf Moor we have a big screen, but there's probably half the ground can't see it 
if yeah, you're in the car X, yeah. you can't really see it very well. If you're in the stand that's next to it, you've probably not got a very good view of it. So unless you're planning to put massive TV screens all over a football ground, it's going to be very difficult to see how you can have it so that everyone will be able to see. Um, you just I have think to have a theme tune like uh, Champions League does. Yeah, exactly. You could have something <laughs> like that. I think in Italy, they just have the referee just like blows his whistle and makes a TV screen gesture mm. so that everyone can see straight away it's mm. the TV review, which seems like a really obvious way to do it. I don't understand why they've not been using that um, in English football. It's, it seems really obvious. So, yeah, I think continue to trial it. Also, everyone just get your heads together that's using it and see what's been learned. But I, I don't see any reason why it can't be ready to go next season. Yeah, I completely agree, Jamie. Um, obviously, like we mentioned before, it, it, I think it's clear it's going to be used in the World Cup. So there's going to be a lot of learning from that experience as well over those four or five weeks that the World Cup's being held in. Um, and yeah, I see no reason why it can't be rolled out in the Premier League as one competition. All games have it. I think that's a fair way of perhaps getting used to um, the technology. Um, and, and there's no doubt in that over the summer the referees will. Um, you know, take time to to get used to it, and obviously not not through matches, but just by watching the World Cup and um, you know having their having their meet like they used to, and um, perhaps training sessions on it. I, I think one of the points interesting is that you mentioned um, uh, Alan Pardew's comments after the game yesterday, but I think he was one of the managers that uh, refused to have the VAR sort of rolled out of West Brom to the players uh, it's, uh, for the for the guys to come in and just explain what the situation was and how it all worked. So I think he's one of the managers that refused to have it, um, have that chat. So I was quite quite interested to hear his comments after the game, being very critical of it when he was somebody that wouldn't allow his players to kind of have a, have a bit of a training session on it. But um, but I, I, I digress. Yeah, I think there's no reason why it can't be rolled out. It, it, it's having a few teething problems, but nothing that can't be sorted out. You know, the timing perhaps is a bit of an issue, but obviously that will only get quicker as everyone get, gets used to the system and, and different bits and pieces like the fans in the ground, knowing that that's the situation. I think Craig Pawson did use the television screen kind of um, give me a clue type uh, action, um, hinting towards he was using the TV. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I see no reason. You know, there's only four... Uh, scenarios where they're going to go and use it, and I think um, you know some games you won't see it being used, won't need it to be used. Other games, perhaps some of the more high-profile games, um, may get, have it used two or three times um, to avoid controversial scenarios. But I think it's probably fairer to roll it out in one competition like the Premier League um, as over a season, and then you're only you're only going to you know fine-tune it as you go in that way, aren't you? So yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely be interesting to see how it is uh, implemented. And kind of to wrap up by coming back to one of the first points, uh, one of the problems with this is understanding that, A, there's a referee, B, there's a video assistant referee, what the relationship is between the two of those, what the relationship Mm -hmm. is between them and the fans. There's a lot of links where information can be dropped, and I think that's one of the best things that can uh, be improved. But I agree with you guys. I I think um, even if we weren't 100% comfortable with it, like Bundesliga wasn't at the start of the season. Um, you can find loads of articles from August and September where the Bundesliga was complaining about um, the accuracy and effectiveness of, of video assistant refereeing. But then throughout the season, it's obviously grown, as we're saying. Mm. Just the more it's used, the better it can get. Uh, and it seems that, that it's kind of 
uh, getting closer to taking on all cylinders there. So agree with you guys. Um, there are obviously loads and loads more uh, details that we could talk about about this. Uh, but obviously we have quite some time before uh, it is implemented in the Premier League. And I'm sure we'll get back to it uh, as that uh, becomes more clear or as it happens. Um, we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with questions for each of our guests. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, and we are back. Uh, Jay, we'll lead in with you, if that's the thing I said in the running order, which it might not have been. Nope, it's not. All right. Nope. (laughs) Come to you, Jay. All right, and we are back. We're going to start by talking about Burnley with Jamie. Um, we're going to touch on signings again in a little bit here. Um, but uh, I had the pleasure of uh, delving into your old haunts there on No Nay Never when uh, Burnley signed George Kevin and Kudu. Seemed to be an obvious uh, an obvious pickup uh, for the short-term replacement of Robbie Brady, as it is indeed a loan. And then just a couple weeks later, you bring in Aaron Lennon. Curious as to how you think they will be implemented into the squad uh, how do you fit them both on with Good Munson, who's obviously been the main creator since Brady went down? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, Burnley fans, to start with, are just delighted that we've added some some real pace. Um, obviously, Aaron Lennon's not 16 anymore. He's not the rapid player he once was, but he's probably still going to be one of our quicker players. There's a real lack of speed in our attack. Become quite one-paced and predictable since... Brady got injured, Chris Wood's been out as well, he's quite mobile, so we have been struggling up front for the last few games, I think it's a good move to bring a couple of players to freshen it up, to liven it up. Lennon in particular has a lot of experience, I think he's going to have as many if not more Premier League appearances than anyone else in the squad, he's played for England 20 times or something, so he brings a lot of know-how and understanding of what needs to be done to succeed in the Premier League. I think most of his career he's been finishing in, in the top half. That's obviously something that we're aiming for this season. Um, how Dash fits them in, I have absolutely no idea. Um, I've grown used to Burnley having maybe one good winger at a time, if we're lucky, and suddenly we've got three, but there's only two wings on a pitch. Thus so, <laughs> far, so... Yeah, um, so, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of people suggesting Gunmanson can play as a 10. I'd be quite interested to see that because he's got bags of ability taking players on one-on-one. He's very direct. He'll go for goal. He'll make things happen. Um, Jeff Hendricks become a bit of a whipping boy among Burnley fans in the last few weeks, couple of months. Um, 
just because it it seems that he's quite unshowy. He's not the sort of number ten that fans really like to see. He doesn't really take players on. Um, he's very much sort of off the ball type stuff. He contributes very well to our style and our play, but when you try and pinpoint Hendrick's contribution after a game, you're suddenly thinking, oh, what did he actually do um, in terms of moments that, that changed the game? So I think maybe try Goodmanson in Hendrick's position if he wants to play Nkudu and Lennon. Um, our history of using Lund well is not great under Dash, to be honest. It's probably one of the, the few weaknesses. So I would expect Nkudu's minutes to be quite limited, I'm afraid, which is a shame because I thought it was really exciting at Palace. Um, Burnley fans have a habit of rating someone off the first thing they do and that he, he beat a player and then did like a weird trick I can't remember what trick he did but he beat someone then did a trick and Burnley fans straight away were just like brilliant, world class <laughs> <laughs> play him every week <laughs> he's the best player we've ever seen so it doesn't matter what he does from now on basically Burnley fans are going to be like yep and Kudu, brilliant, absolute god <laughs> um, yeah I think he's he's already a bit of a cult hero and we'd like to see more of him but I think it's tricky when you get loans in because unless you're going to to sign the player, it's a bit like you're just getting someone fit and giving them the experience to go and... For someone else. Yeah, exactly. So when we've had Michael Keane on loan and Kieran Trippier on loan and Ben Mee on loan, they were very much, I think, with a view to if they're fitting well, we're going to buy them. Um, I, I don't think that's realistic with Nkudu. It might be something that they've thought about, but it seemed to me that it was just a, a short-term measure. So Daesh's motivation for playing in Kudu a lot, I'm not sure he's going to be that strong. I think he will be used as a sort of last 10, 15 minutes if we're struggling, if we just need to change it up a little bit. Um, so I'd imagine Lennon will play and then Kudu will be on the bench. But you never know with Daesh. Sometimes he, he does take you by surprise. We can move on now to talking about um, Stephen Ward, who obviously had a very good start to the season. Um, some of his popularity driven by the uh, fantasy community. Um, but also he had been having a very good start to the season, especially in that very first game scoring against Chelsea the way he did. Um, now he's been out for what, eight, nine weeks after when it first started sounding like it was going to be a week to week thing. Um, obviously it's a knee injury. Do we, do we have any more information on, on what's going on with his, uh, injury and or recovery? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dash is quite similar to, to Pochettino in this way in that he doesn't really give, time scales, he doesn't like to give too much away, I don't think he likes to put pressure on players, um, so he will quite often give like the week by week updates that there's been progress, he's getting closer, but yeah you're right, he's been out for a couple of months now I don't think he's played an under 23's game yet, so he's, he's been out for the sort of time where you would expect he's going to need a couple of games with the, the reserves to, to get back up to speed I think we've really missed him um, Charlie Taylor He's playing in the Premier League for the first time in his career. He's shown flashes of being a quality player, but I think it is quite obvious that he's new to this level. It's going to take time. Um, and Stephen Ward had a lot of experience. He, he's been with us a long time, so we knew exactly what we were going to get from Stephen Ward. He's a very reliable player. Um, I don't think it's helped either that we've had to make quite a lot of changes in defence recently. Obviously, Nick Port's been playing in goal with Tom Heaton out, but... There was a, a time when I think the entire back five was totally different to how it was last season. Mm. And then people were still surprised that our results had dipped. 
like half the team was missing essentially. So I think um, Ward's recovery it can't come soon enough really for me. I like Charlie Taylor and I think he's going to have a good career at the club, but for now I think with the results not going that well, it's a bit of a sticky period. Dash wants to get his trusted faces back in the team, so as soon as Ward is, is available, I think he will be back, and I think that will be a big boost for us because he's the sort of player that you don't notice him as much when he's playing, but when he's not there, you really notice his absence. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, and we've often said on the show that the sometimes the best defenders are the ones you don't notice um, because they're obviously not under yeah. too much pressure. Um, it was one of the weirdest stories, so I guess we will touch on it. Um, obviously, there was an interview where somebody mentioned that Sean Dyche used to eat worms. One of the weirdest accusations, followed by one of the weirdest <laughs> press conferences, where he had to be like, "No, I don't eat." Wor- what are you guys talking about? Just, what was that dealing like with that? Like, uh, as a Burley fan, having your manager accused of something so heinously strange. I think what what was almost strange was the way he addressed it in the press conference. He made a joke of it, as you would expect, but then he was very straight. It was like. Just to clarify, I don't eat worms. <laughs> the way he said it, he just everyone watching it was like, "Well, he's definitely eating worms." <laughs> it was like, he's so strong in his desire. It was like, "Well, I believed him at first, but now, now I think he ate the worms." <laughs> like the denial was too strong. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can see him doing it, Frank. I think his explanation probably makes sense. Um, even at Burnley now, they have this this forfeit system where. If you get fines during the week, you have to spin the wheel and do something weird. And I can very much imagine that like pretending to eat a worm or something would be the kind of thing that Dash would make people do. So I can definitely see it. Do I actually think he ate the worms? I don't know. <laughs> Does it matter? No. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's... It was the sort of story that as soon as it emerged, you were like, yeah, people are going to talk about this for quite a long time because it's just so out there <laughs> like someone who's supposed to be a respectable professional person like eating worms yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what to, to take from that so uh yeah i don't think it's really what you'd want people to talk about your manager for but yeah it happened it was out there so i think everyone's quite looking forward to being able to move on from it but similarly <laughs> it might well be the sort of thing that follows him throughout his career now it might well get added to the list of Reasons why Sean Dash doesn't get big jobs. <laughs> Only picks British players, eats worms. Tactically <laughs> impeccable. It'll be added to that list. Fair enough. Well, I'm glad I was able to get your take on that, despite you claiming that you wish it had been left in the past, which seriously, it was like a month ago, and I'm bringing it up now. So uh, sorry <laughs> to do that to you. Um, moving on to you now, Jay, uh, talking about Crystal Palace. Uh, we haven't had you on in a little bit now. Um, and since then, uh, Palace have really turned things around. Uh, curious as to uh, what you think the main attribute uh, is there. Obviously, you bring in Roy Hodgson after um, the DeBoer uh, run was very brief at the start of the season. But I think we all always thought there was more talent in this team than DeBoer got out of it. Um, so do you think that the recent results are down to Hodgson's tactics and his presence at the club, or more just that talent tends to bounce out over a season and you were always going to improve to an extent? I think it's no coincidence you asked me on the uh, podcast after a 4-1 thrashing by Arsenal. <laughs> but, um, peculiarly enough, it's, that's, that's our second defeat in 13 games, and both those defeats were against Arsenal. 
three uh, two just after Christmas at home, where we we ran them close in the end, but they uh, they kind of got over line relatively easily. But uh, but last weekend was it was a bad time to play Arsenal, and it was a bad time for us to have a bad game four um, 0 down after twenty two minutes, and you know just thankful that it wasn't any worse than that, and actually we got a goal back. But um, regardless of that game. Yeah, we, we've uh, Hodgson has been a revelation since he came in. It, it, it took a few games to um, to gauge the squad and, and, and realise what he wanted to do with it. Uh, you're quite right. I think a lot of people have said that it's a talented squad of players. But I think when you're supporting your own team, you kind of don't really want to keep on about a one because some people said, oh, too good to go down. That's one of the comments I just hate other teams saying um, a lot of the time in previous seasons, because uh, if you know if your if your players don't adapt and, and 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 perform as they should, then it doesn't matter how good your players are. Then you know you, you're going to end up in a struggle, and uh, it, it's it's hard to turn things around. And um, you know, seven games in, no no points, no goals. I think everyone was thinking, you know, this is kind of this is kind of it for us this season, even even that early in the season. But yeah, the change was made, much to a lot of media criticism. I think there was a lot of uh, behind the scenes um, uh, views about it not actually working with De Boer. I think he changed things too quickly um, throughout the club rather than trying to adapt things. Uh, over a period of time, which I, I think didn't go down particularly well. But it's interesting to know that we actually played really well away at Burnley in his last game. Um, we lost 1-0 due to a pretty ridiculous back pass. But I think that game was one where you couldn't accuse the players of not playing for him. So it certainly wasn't that scenario. But Hodgson's come in and has been absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's, he's a, without actually signing any players, he's, he's proved himself, not that he had to prove himself to us, because I think, you know, a, a guy who's been around the block it's been more than around the block. I mean, if you look at his CV, it's 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 exceptionally impressive. Um, and on his appointment, having spoken to Fulham and West Brom fans, even though he was very disliked as an England boss, as well as uh, his short stint at Liverpool, um, who are notoriously hard to please as it is, um, we found that you know Fulham fans and West Brom fans absolutely adored him for his time at their clubs, and it's proven to be the case here. Similar size club in in, in Palace, and um, he's got us up to where are we now? Thirteenth, fourteenth in the table. I think we're you know a good few points ahead of the bottom three at the moment, which is far better than any of us expected it to be. And Roy Hodgson said the very same thing. We're in a better position than we. Um, we th- he thought we would be in at this point, um, you know, midway through the January transfer window. Obviously, we've made a couple of additions, but uh, hopefully, there's more to come. But you know, Raw Hodgson's a is a gentleman. He's is a kind of guy that you know wants the players to have their feet on the ground and 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 looks ahead to the next game rather than any, any much further than than that. As is, 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 is so cliche in football, but um, <laughs> we've been we've been exceptionally impressed with. How Roy Hodgson and Andy's assistant uh, Ray Lewington actually has done uh, at Palace, and um, it, it was a massive job, you know, to come in uh, after that period. And like I could say we were on the end of a couple of thumpings in Manchester in consecutive weekends uh, after he took charge. But he's uh, he stemmed the flow and uh, has got us onto a run of, like I mentioned, two losses in 13 games. And managed to pull us away from the bottom three just for now. But as you mentioned you know, previously, Kev, it's it's such a ridiculous. Uh, bottom half of the table. I think it's six points covering 10th to the mm-hmm. bottom side. I mean, it's going to go to the end of the season, isn't it? It really is. Like, it, 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 with so many teams involved, it's, you know, if you are a neutral, then it's it, it's probably going to be great viewing. But for any of the teams mixed up in it, uh, it certainly isn't going to be. Yeah, a uh, stat to illustrate that is Newcastle are in 15th place on 23 points. They are three points from 10th and 20th. 
Um, so yeah, crazy. this is a fun absolutely way to visualize crazy. that. It is absolutely crazy. Um, one of the things that you have to credit uh, Hodgson specifically with um, is the fact that he's gotten the players to buy into his uh, view of the mm. club, none more so evidence than uh, by Wilfried Zaha coming out mm. on his own at the start of January saying he's not leaving um, this season, uh, which, you know, while a lot of other big-name players are uh, touting moves or or things like that, for him to come out and say, no, I'm staying to the end of the season, I think has to be uh, attributed to Hodgson because he could have easily jumped ship if he thought this was going the wrong direction. Uh, do you view that the same way? And uh, kind of regardless, how important is it that Zaha um, isn't kind of being one of these one-way players that are kind of so prevalent in the league at the moment? I think uh, Hodgson should take a, a huge amount of plaudits for how he's managed these players. I mean, you're not, you haven't got any of the players at the moment who are talking in the media, uh, wanting to move away or hinting at a move away or really any rumours about any of our players moving away. And that's, that's, that's a massive thing for a club like us. We're not, we're not a top six side. Um, and, and obviously, you know, we've seen top six sides lose some of their be- you know, best players to other clubs. But um, there seems to be a bit of a siege mentality at Palace in that, you know, we are generally underdogs and we do, you know, have to battle to get points, as do a lot of the teams in the Premier League against, uh, you know, the top six, seven or eight sides. Um, but, yeah, Hodgson has, has kind of taken... Um, Wolf under his wing a little bit, and I think you, you have to be fair to um, uh, to De Boer that you know we lost Wilf um, in the first game of the season, and he missed he missed a good six or seven games after that, which didn't help uh, De Boer's cause because Wilf is a massive player for us. And I was asked in the summer by by another uh, a website about which player would be the one that I wouldn't want to get injured during the season. And I said Wilf because uh, last season he was ex- exceptional <clears throat> and he, he's proved again this season that he's just got better and better. He's got his critics, certainly. You know, in the media, he's been um, vilified for going, going down too easy on a number of occasions, but it's, it's no different to, to a lot of other players in the Premier League anyway, uh, to be honest. And I think I read a stat today that Wolf is the most most uh, tackled player in the Premier League this season and he missed the first, uh, well, he played the first game and missed the following six. So that's that's a fair stat. Um, Wolf has been exceptional for us. He's a massive, he, he's, got, he's got a massive part to play for us between now and the end of the season. Um, but it's not just him. You know, other players in this team have come along an awful lot under Roy Hodgson. Um, particularly, um, I mean, Luka Milivojevic is, was, was a great signing for us. I think it was last January. Um, he was handed a captain's armband through this injury crisis that we've had at the moment. Um, it's pretty similar to Burnley, actually, in that we're, we've, we're fielding a, a different back four to what we started the season with as well, um, which um, kind of goes under the radar a little bit. And that's, that's, that's a huge thing for, a, again, a club like us, I keep saying. But it, but it is because we don't have a, a huge amount of strength and depth. We're, we're kind of going through the last few games um, with a... You know, a, a very thin, uh, threadbare squad, and and we seem to have players on a bench that Roy doesn't seem to trust, or hasn't seen enough about them to be able to trust them and bring them on. Um, but um, we, we've seen improvements in in in, in certain players, particularly uh, Martin Kelly has been great as centre back for us. Um, Timothy Fosu-Mensu, who's on loan from United, has been really good for us as well. Um, but certain changes in players since Roy's come in has been uh, have, have been. You know, visual for all of us to to kind of see week in week out, which is uh, which is a real bonus, of course, as well, and approves you know talent from you know his coaching side as well. Yeah, uh, agree on most of those points. And Milivojevic, indeed, is definitely catching the eye, and I think is a player that has proven to be 
uh, much better than <laughs> most expected uh, mm-hmm. when he came into the league, and most of us didn't know who he was, which is something <laughs> you and I will touch on again uh, in a little bit here. Also uh, of note is uh, Bakary Sako's little goal-scoring run. He had uh, three goals in a, a six-match stretch. Um, yeah. Worth noting that uh, I had very nice things to say about him two summers ago <laughs> uh, when they played in the States that very mm-hmm. same summer. Said that uh, I was disappointed by Wilfried Zaha's work ethic, and I didn't think he'd have a very good season. And then it was his best season of his career. So, a little so bit of a mixed bag. Word Kev says. <laughs> <laughs> Except I called Bakary Sako having a good season just a year yeah. early, and it was only yeah. for like six matches. Um, to, to be fair, I can't believe I missed him out in my uh, in my mentions there. Bakary Sako has been a revelation since Roy's come in. He's uh, it was very injury plagued the last couple of years. He came to us from Wolves and really hit the ground running to start with and scored a couple of screamers. Um, but then he's kind of flitted in and out of the squad through injury and not really applying himself but uh, but since Roy's come in he's been he's been like a brand new sign and you know you've seen the goals that he scored for us recently he's been he's been fantastic and really really put in the effort and I think um, the goal against uh, um, oh it was Burnley wasn't it sorry uh, Jamie it was <laughs> a goal against Burnley and also a, a terrific volley for a, for a very close second uh, as well he's played ex- really well in that game and uh, like I say it's been it's been like a new sign somebody we needed actually to come through and and shine and it's been uh, it's been very welcome indeed yeah great um now we're going to move on to player watch where Jamie we're going to lead in with you even though we kind of already touched on this um but uh you have signed Nkudu and Lennon, obviously two players with a lot of pace. Um, we've already talked about how they may fit into your side, so uh, we can either kind of elaborate on that or if you think there's any other positions you may address uh, in this window, uh, feel free to go for that. I think it's quite interesting that we seem to have been linked with defenders um, in the last couple of weeks. I saw Rob Holding was a link, possible loan deal from Arsenal. Um, I think that would make sense. Holding obviously hasn't played a lot of football for Arsenal, but has looked good uh, in the, the brief chance he's had to impress. Defensively, Burnley haven't been great in the last few weeks. I think it's starting to to show that it has been a bit of a, a downgrade in a couple of p- the positions. Obviously, we're missing Stephen Ward. Michael Keane hasn't done that well at Everton, but I think it's it's maybe becoming clear that he is a better player than Tarkovsky is coming in to replace him. We made a change at right back as well with Phil Bardsley coming in for, for Matt Lawson and did okay for a while, but the last couple of games he's been absolutely terrible. So um, I think a, a defender might be a good idea. I think also it, it doesn't really feel like Burnley are making the most of this opportunity to me. I don't think we're going to be in the top eight in January many more times. So it seems like a really good chance to attract players to the club. Someone like Lennon, I think, certainly fits the criteria of if we'd been 15th or 16th, we wouldn't have signed Aaron Lennon. But because we are further up the league, he knows it's not going to be a relegation battle. And there's a bit of pressure off for the second half of the season and that we've already almost got enough points to stay up. And that's the sort of play that we could only have gotten because we're in such a good position. Um, but I don't think we've capitalised on it as much as maybe we could have. For me, I think this window was a really good opportunity to invest in players who we can then develop and take time um, to bring them through in a similar way to what we've done with James Sarkovsky, who sat on the bench for a long time while Keane played with me and then came into the team and looked ready. I think this was a chance to do something similar. 
Tarkovsky's now being talked of as an England international 25, 30 million pound player, but we haven't gone out and bought his replacement. It seemed to me obvious that that was the one deal that we really should have done this summer, buying James Tarkovsky's replacement, because when Keane went, we had his replacement, and now we don't have the next one. I think you need to be constantly planning for the next the next cab off the rank, if you like. And we, we used to do that really well with strikers. We had Charlie Austin came in after someone left, and Jay Rodriguez before that. We had like five, six scenes in a row where it felt like we lost our striker, but there was always the next one ready to come in. And I think that's really what we should have been doing um, in January. That said... Obviously, eighth in the table is fantastic for this stage of the season, especially considering that we've been a bit rubbish for the last month, um, albeit with some tough fixtures. So I think the, the two additions we've made are positive. I think they will have a good impact on our attacking play and make us a bit more interesting to watch. They'll give us a bit of a fresh dimension as well. Um, but if we are going to do business over the next couple of days. I'd like to see us invest in a couple of young players who we can get really excited about and develop and turn into first-team players for, if not next season or one after. We need to take more of a medium-term view at this point, I think. We've got Dash tied down to the long-term contract, which is obviously huge news for the football club. Um, and I think now we need to start putting the squad in place to, to see him through that four-and-a-half-year deal. Great. Um, coming to you now, Jay, kind of alluded to it earlier, uh, but two not-so-household names uh, have joined Crystal Palace, <laughs> much like Milivojevic last year, although he has, uh, to an extent, become one himself this year. Um, mm. I don't know if it's a hard Jay or a soft Jay, so I'm not even going to try with uh, the defender, but let's start with him. Uh, how much do you know about him, and what will he bring to this Palace squad? Oh, what, a Polish defender? Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Jack. Surname, Jack. Um International, Polish international, signed for uh, to, uh, by us from, um, I'm just trying to get the name up, uh, <laughs> um, Lubin. Um, so, yeah, not not a lot known about him. Um, six foot tall inch defender, um, kind of suits the mold of a centre-back, doesn't he, really? But comes with um, a, a decent amount of uh, praise from uh, the Polish media. So, um, 23-year-old, uh, signed for Palace, very excited to sign for us. So... We will see what I does. I think the approach in this window was really to address a couple of areas where um, uh, where we we have needs, which is goalkeeper and striker, which we've yet to do. Um, but elsewhere, I think our squad is quite threadbare with um, season ending season ending injuries uh, to a couple of players, at least, uh, namely uh, Scott Dan and Jason Punchin, who would normally be, um, if not in the first uh, eleven, then certainly close to it. So. We're bringing in um, Jack, um, really, for that reason. A youngish defender, still learning his trade, I guess, at 23 years old. Um, I'll be foolish to say I know a lot about you know both Jack and uh, Erdel Rakip, who's the other signing that we've made uh, from uh, Benfica. This is an old one because uh, Rakip signed uh, for Benfica earlier this month, uh, and we've signed him on loan uh, to in the end of the season. So um, the rumour is that, we, that there's a €10 million Euro buy clause at the end of this so unless it's Benfica trying to make a a bit of money on somebody that's highly touted across Europe 21 year old midfielder um, who was previously at Malmo um, and obviously Malmo was Roy Hodgson's uh, one of his clubs that he had a fair bit of success with 
back in the day, back in the eighties, I think it was. I think he won three titles there um, when when he was there. So he's, uh, I think he has a corner of the ground named after him, which uh, says a lot about what the fans think of him. So um, Rakip has obviously been attracted by the fact that Hodgson is manager, signs for us on loan. I don't know whether it is an actual view to signing, but it's a he has a young midfielder, uh, played a lot of uh, internationals um, for. Uh, Sweden, uh, albeit youth internationals, I think he's made uh, one full appearance, I believe. And, but like I say, I'll be foolish. So I know a lot about these two players. It's really to bulk up the squad. Our main aim is um, to get a, a goalkeeper in because we seem to be chopping and changing between Hennessy and Sproni. And, and to be fair, neither are really up to the Premier League um, at, at the moment. And we've we've kind of suffered from that in, in recent years, really, particularly Wayne Hennessy. So we're looking at... It's turned a bit of a soap opera, uh, soap opera actually. The uh, Getafe goalkeeper, who actually played this evening, uh, Vicente Gaeta, who... We believe he wants to sign for Palace, but uh, we've made a £6 million offer and uh, Getafe are holding out for eight, I think, because uh, we could actually end up signing for free in the summer, uh, which is an odd one. So you thought Getafe would want to um, take the money and perhaps run and, and make some on, on this goalkeeper. But he's uh, uh, highly rated. He was at Valencia previous to Getafe, so um, somebody that we're, we, we seem to be very keen on bringing in. Um, the other one is um, a striker. We're, we're, we're crying out for a striker. Could I, um, could I cut you off here? Because um, yeah. ESPN recently reported uh, that Palace were uh, thinking about offering $11 million for Ashley Barnes. And since we have a representative from both of those clubs... Uh, on this Ooh. show, I feel like that's an appropriate one to talk about. So was that eleven million pound, one one yes. million pound? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not authorized to accept that, but well, I feel like you just yes, did. Yes, please give us yeah. eleven million pounds for Ashley Barnes, please. Yeah, you'd, you'd chew our hands off at that, wouldn't you? Well, it <laughs> sounds like you're going to be in a bidding war with Chelsea, so we might get even more than that. <laughs> Barnes to Chelsea's got to be the weirdest room in the transfer window so far. Where is that? What was it? Peter Crouch as well? And oh, well, yeah, um, just anyone yeah. big and awkward at one point, I think. Yeah, eleven million for Ashley Barnes. Not no offense to Burnley, but maybe he would fit. But he doesn't fill the fans with a lot of uh, um, a lot of pleasure because he's a former Brighton player. <laughs> Um, he's a combative striker. I, I mean, I don't think Burnley play him as a cent- central player. I think he played he played quite wide against us in uh, in in the game at Sellers Park a, f- a couple of weeks ago, which um, he gets stuck in. He, you know, he, he 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 plays his part for the team, but we're looking for somebody to um, to put pressure on Benteke up front because Benteke's got nobody. Um, really giving him any competition in that role at all. And obviously Benteke is misfiring, not scoring the goals for us week in, week out. But we've got nobody else to turn to. You know, um, Connor Wickham is that uh, that man missing in action. He's He's been out with a knee injury for the last 18 months. We're hoping he'll come back for the end of the season. But um, there, have been, there have been talks with Ed Air, the Brazilian international who is with Inter, uh, rumours of, of a bit about 8 to nine to 10 million with him. believe talks are ongoing with... That's uh, so, but again, that's a striker which um, isn't particularly prolific, but works hard up front and, and could be a perfect fourth Benteke if, if he brought somebody like that in. But really, I mean, 
you know, a, a striker that scores goals is is quite hard to come by at the moment. And obviously, they're and if they if they are proven to score goals in the top division, then they're going to be worth a, a fair bit of money more than um, what we're offering. Obviously, Chelsea in the market for a goal scoring striker kind of puts us down the rankings a little bit there. But um, but yeah, that's kind of the room of business for us. We, we've got two in, which is kind of going to bolster our squad more than anything else, um, particularly from a bench perspective. But uh, we, I'm expecting, I'm hoping actually, as other Palace fans are that we're going to address a striker situation even if we don't address the goalkeeping situation until the summer Fair enough um, just to talk on Tottenham for like a millisecond, uh, last week I said any deal that we would do um, would definitely be um, a loan of either, or sorry a buying of either Malcolm or Ryan Sessignon and then a loan back to their clubs uh, the Ryan Sessignon thing looks like it's not going to be happening, uh, at least not um, over this winter period and then you know Fulham looking like they have a decent shot of coming up on their own, so he may be staying there for a while longer. And the Malcolm thing, I was actually uh, working on a statistical breakdown of Malcolm and how he'd fit at Tottenham because things looked to be going that way. And then I think it was Thursday morning, all of a sudden it was all about Lucas. And now that looks like it's almost going to be done and uh, would be a deal that's for January, could play for us in the Champions League. Um, I think there's a lot of positives there, but we'll save more judgment until uh, he's actually wearing the kit. But that's where Tottenham stand for now. Um, that will do it for us today, although we do have um, midweek matches coming up. We'll just go with a simple, what do you think the result will be? All right, Jay, uh, London Derby time, uh, going to be playing uh, at West Ham. Uh, you think you're going to win this one? Fingers crossed they've got a massive injury list, haven't they? Mm-hmm. But uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet uh, I bet against their youth team uh, putting a result against. I'm hopeful of a point at least. I th- I'm hoping we can bounce back from the Arsenal hefty defeat and uh, continue uh, the good form before that and get three points against a depleted West Ham side. Fair enough. Um, Jamie, something that at the beginning of the season people may have thought was a six-pointer, now decidedly not so. Do you think you can uh, beat up on Newcastle there? I think we've got a good chance here. Newcastle obviously aren't in the best form and struggle for goals. It's probably a bigger game for them than it is for us, but we haven't won for a while, so I think we will be looking at this as a a really big opportunity to get points. We've got City at the weekend, I think. So, yeah, it's it's a big game for us. I think we can certainly get a point. I'll be disappointed if we lose the game. Yeah, Um, and uh, Tottenham are playing Manchester United because, of course, we're going to get to play Alexis three times in one season. Um, Just seems uh, (laughs) like that was uh, always going to happen to us. I think this is going to be a a really good match. I unfortunately don't think Toby will be back for this one. I think he will be back uh, for Liverpool at the weekend. Um, Really just hoping uh, that that we play well. The result will fall as it will, Um, but uh, especially after a disappointing 1-1 draw um, in the cup would be nice to see us. Uh, kind of back to kind of full guns here. Um, hopefully Erickson and Larissa will be back from their illnesses. All right, that'll do it for our show today. Uh, guys, thanks so much for coming on. If you have anything you'd like to plug, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me as always. I've been Jamie Smith. I support Burnley, but cover various teams, Premier League, European football, etc. You can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sport. Yeah, thanks, Kev, for inviting me back on the pod. It's been great as usual. Um, I'm Jay Crame. I'm editor of theeaglesbeak.com, a Palace fan. So I head over to the website. There's stuff going up every day of the week, particularly building up to West Ham game and obviously Newcastle game next Sunday, as well as other articles. You can also listen to me, my dosage tones, if you uh, enjoy what I was saying. Um, uh, on the Meridian Sports Show, which is a community radio uh, show, uh, but you can get it online. So you can follow us at the Meridian SS or online meridianfm.com. Um, you can get in touch with me mostly on Twitter at the Eagles Beak.
Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my writings over at Goal under the Gaming tab for all kinds of fantasy content. Uh, also on this very channel, you can find a fantasy show and a championship show. On the latter, uh, they also discussed uh, their take on some of the video refereeing stuff and how it could be applied to the championship show. Uh, sorry, to the championship, so be sure to check that out. Also, obviously, deadline day on Wednesday, so we'll be coming out with a, a whole bunch of club updates as that day transpires. Uh, any news that's coming through, and uh, kind of recaps of the transfer window for uh, many of the clubs uh, who you hear talked about on this show. Uh, thanks to the both of you for coming on today. I'm sure we'll speak soon, and we hope you keep listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.